0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 200, yes, 200 zero zero of the Locked On Hawks podcast, I am your host Brad Roland and coming to you live on this fine Thursday evening in advance of a Friday show, which is what this is the final show of the week unless something crazy happens but uh I guess a special one considering it's two hundred episodes i want to pre- i want to uh, thank everybody and really appreciate you guys listening to uh to as many as the, as many of the two hundred as you have can't imagine that too many of you listen to all two hundred, but if you have. Shout out to you for your uh, loyalty, and uh, with that said, we have we have plenty to talk about on today's podcast. Before we get into some player reviews for Kent Bazemore and Ryan Kelly, uh, a little bit of news to get to, not really even news, but uh, Kevin Arnovitz and Zach Lowe of ESPN, uh, two friends of the program, two great guys, great writers, uh, t- did a podcast today uh, on, ES- on ESPN's Basketball Analogy. Podcast, formerly the True hoop, the formerly the True hoop podcast, uh, and they actually talked about the Hawks pretty extensively. I would I would encourage you to uh, go listen to that podcast. But a couple of highlights here I wanted to hit on. Um, Arnavitz said that he believed that Bud uh, Mike are somewhat volunteered to step away from president duties. That's what the Hawks actually reported in their release, but there's been some pushback on that. But worth noting that an insider like Kevin uh, had that to say and kind of framed it as if Bud wanted to get back to coaching. Uh, Also, a couple of names that that they put forth that that I've not talked about on the podcast in terms of the GM search, Uh, Mike Zarin of the Celtics, who's their assistant GM and the sort of Danny Ainge's right hand man, Uh, a very uh, sort of a hot commodity in the industry. Not a big surprise that he'd be mentioned, but an an intriguing name, nonetheless. Also, the uh, notion that 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 the Hawks could be looking to some ex players. Uh, former Hawk Elton Brand was mentioned, even Brent Barry, who does some TV stuff, as well as uh, obviously but a former player in Trajan Langdon, um, who I've actually sat next to at a Hawks game when he was doing some scouting. Uh, interestingly enough, a couple of years ago, uh, were the names that were mentioned. Um, also worth noting that uh, both both guys uh, indicated that it's sort of, that it's a quote unquote open secret in the league. Um, that Mike Budenholzer and West Wilcox did not necessarily see, see eye to eye on personnel when it came to the future. Uh, you can take with that take with that what, what you will. but uh, you know, going back to what David Aldridge reported, going back to a couple of days ago with Paul Melsap and uh, sort of the, the, sort of the divide there on what uh, one guy wanted to trade him probably at the deadline and the other guy wanted to hold on to him. You can uh, draw your own conclusions there. Also, uh, Kevin Artemitz, uh, poo-pooed the Joe Dumars buzz is sort of not really a thing. And, uh, Zach Lowe indicated that him reading the tea leaves basically said that the Hawks will do whatever it takes. He thinks to, uh, To keep Paul Mulsap, that's uh, going off of what Tony Ressler has said, but uh, Zach actually specifically mentioned the possibility of Atlanta going to that five-year max contract, which I've mentioned multiple times, would be a disaster in my mind, even as a huge Paul Melsap fan, to be paying him uh, basically $45 million or so in year five of that deal would be an abject disaster at the end of it. But uh, you kind of have to know the price going in. You'd imagine the Hawks would know that's a bad contract, and they might just sign it anyway because they might be thinking short term. And I get all that, but we'll, we'll still have plenty of time to talk about that Moving forward, but I uh, want to get that out there At least recommend that you go listen to that podcast Because anytime smart people like that go talk about the Hawks It's always a good thing As well as uh, there was a recent episode of the uh, Dunked On NBA podcast With Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue In which they did an extensive off-season preview of the Hawks At some point, I might, I might actually use that audio a little bit And break that, that, break that, that, that thing down just a tad bit uh, moving forward um, But with that said, uh, it's, very, it's very much worth a listen And it's extensive and uh, a deep dive Much in the way that Robbie and I did a couple of days ago and also I would encourage you to listen to episode 199 of the podcast Robbie and I did not exactly paint the most optimistic picture of the Hawks but uh, with that said it's worth uh, hearing and talking about um, because there are some uh, ugly realities with Atlanta although you could try to be as positive as you possibly can and I get that um, but some of the some of the some of the stuff that the Hawks are dealing with now uh, is pretty treacherous and uh, that has to be talked about in frank terms um, with that said Two player reviews to get to today. The first of which is sort of a uh, almost a throwaway in some ways, but the second of which is Kent Baysmore, which is a very interesting one. Uh, before we get to Kent though, first of all, Ryan Kelly. Uh, Ryan Kelly is a guy I actually kind of like, which I've said on the podcast a couple of times as a player, uh, had an interesting story to the season. He was released on October 18th by the Hawks. He was signed again on October 31st by the Hawks after the Hawks uh, actually parted ways with Eddie Tavares. Um, That was an interesting and sort of weird situation where the Hawks seemingly chose Ryan Kelly over Eddie Tavares, which did not make a a lot of sense to anyone, myself included. Uh, Kelly was then waived on January sixth to create a roster spot that the Hawks needed to get in the court and the Kyle Korver Mike Delaney trade. As you might remember, uh, the, the Cavs actually included Mo Williams, who was effectively retired but was still a contract but the Hawks had to take on, and they had to create a roster spot in order to create that to create and complete that deal. Ryan Kelly was waived at that point in time. And then later on, he was signed along with Lamar Patterson on, on February 23rd uh, when the Hawks had two roster spots post deadline. That was before Jose Calderon. And actually, as you might remember, Lamar Patterson was not long for the roster. He quickly uh, was ousted. Um, and, you know, that was sort of a weird circumstance, but that ended up being Jose Calderon. But obviously, Ryan Kelly stuck around for the rest of the season. And uh, that is the end of that. Uh, Kelly played 16 games, but 110 minutes for the Hawks in 16 games. A very, very sparsely used player. I can think of him only one time. The season and when he had actually played a real stretch of time in the first half, um, it was when, uh, it was actually in March alongside Chris Humphreys for a little bit of time in the first half, and that did not go well as you might expect. Um, it's worth it's worth noting that Kelly uh, made, made has a one point five seven million dollar contract for next season. It is non guaranteed, however. The Hawks have until July 7th, according to Basketball Insiders, to make a decision on Kelly's number there. For me, it would be a situation that's pretty obviously to uh, to, to go ahead and decline that. It's not an option, so you have, you have to just cut him. It's non guaranteed, it's not an option, but you just you could probably cut him and then bring him back bring him back later if you desperately wanted to. You would, of course, be risking that he could sign elsewhere, but I think him making more than the minimum next year is something that probably doesn't need to happen necessarily. But, you know, one and a half million is not nothing in terms of cap when you're talking about where the Hawks are, and especially if Paul Mosap leaves they might uh, end up having to try to use that cap space in a way that they probably are not playing to do so right now. In terms of actual play from Ryan Kelly, he can be useful offensively as a floor spacer. Um, he's not a center, though. That's the problem. He's, uh, he's he's sort of too big, too slow to be a power forward in today's NBA, at least, at least defensively. But offensively, I mean... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know defensively. He, he basically just can't, he can't, he can't be your center. Uh, it'd be tough to pair him with, with somebody that's uh, super, super dynamic defensively. I guess him playing with Paul most, that would be a little bit interesting because Paul has played a lot of center, at least the last year defensively and uh, was obviously super active and very, very good around the rim. Whereas Kelly is a, certainly a below average defensive player at this point, And probably always has been in the NBA. Uh, but again, he can be pretty useful offensively as a floor spacer. His three point numbers are not great, um, but he's at least a guy who can step out and shoot the ball credibly was a, uh, Effective offensive player at times uh, pre- in previous stops. He was actually more of a rotation player than he's ever been in Atlanta. Also, I've sort of said before that I think he might be better than Chris Humphreys. It's kind of tough to tell just because you haven't seen Kelly play a couple of years now in terms of real minutes, but uh, that's more of an indictment on, Humphrey, on Humphreys than it is a sort of a ring endorsement of Kelly. Uh, I do like his game going back to college, and uh, I think he's at least uh, moderately interesting, but if he's anything better than your 15th man, you've probably done something wrong, and honestly, with the way the Hawks are looking to the future now, I think with at his age, he probably would be uh, more along to uh, using that spot on a more developmental guy than Kelly. He's sort of is what he is. I can't imagine him getting a whole lot better in the next couple of years. So it will not be a surprise to me if the Hawks wanted to keep him at least close to the program. They clearly liked him enough to pick him up a couple of different times over the last year or so. But I'm not a guy who is definitely a foundational piece by any stretch. And uh, it'd be a pretty, I don't don't want to say a huge surprise, but it it would definitely be a surprise to me if Kelly was on the team beyond beyond his guarantee date of July 7th. Um, the Hawks, it should be noted, the Hawks don't, don't have a ton of bodies, obviously, for next season. Uh, they have a lot of free agents, as we talked about uh, numerous times on the podcast, so in theory it could be enticing to keep him around, but uh, I think just the number itself being more than more than a million and a half would be just too high to uh, go ahead and guarantee that. So with that said, uh, Ryan Kelly, guy I kind of like, but not in a serious way in terms of uh, building your roster. Uh, on to Kent Bazemore, who is obviously the much more int- the more, much more interesting case here with regard to the podcast and reviewing his game and uh, really with regard to the roster and the salary cap and all those things. Uh, Kent has three years and more than $54 million remaining on a four-year $70 million contract. It is worth noting, actually, that Kent Bazemore has a player option for year four that we do not really talk about a lot, just because we uh, assume, I think myself included, and most people would assume that Kent's going to pick that up uh, in year four. Uh, going into the contract, you kind of knew that at the end, what he was going to be—you know, 30, 31 years old. Uh, year four probably wasn't going to be the best year. It's also his highest-paid year, so it'd be, a, it'd be a pretty big shock, uh, even if Kent played well and played better than did better than he did this year, if he turned that down. So it's basically treated as a full four-year deal, even though it's a player option on year four. But we're That's about $19.2 million for the the 2019-2020 season that Kent could opt out of in theory. Um, In terms of uh, the way the Hawks played on the court with Kent on the floor this year, the Hawks were slightly better with him on the floor offensively. Uh, They they were still pretty bad, scoring about 103 points per 100 possessions. That's still pretty bad, um, but a little bit better than they actually were without him. Um, defensively, though, the Hawks were worse by about two points per, p- per her possessions with Kent on the floor, which is a little bit surprising. Um, but at the same time, his defense slipped a little bit this year versus previous years, and you had guys like Tabo and even Torian Prince who could fill some of those minutes when he didn't play. So that makes a little bit of sense that you had some better defenders, at least in the case of Tabo, is certainly a better defender, and Torian has the profile of being a better defender down the road than Kent is at this point, and we saw some flashes of that. But uh, a little bit, you know, it's more of a, just a worth noting kind of thing there. I think the big thing, the sort of misconception I actually uncovered about um, Kent while doing some research for this podcast is that uh, his shooting was not quite as bad as you would think it would be um, this season, at least least in the last couple of months, uh, sort of ironically. He shot 33% from three before the All Star break, 54 games, and about 39% and from three after the All Star break, in about 19 games. If you extend that out a little bit further, he actually he actually shot 39.7% from three in the 42 games from January 1st on. That's an arbitrary endpoint, but you know, sort of a convenient one that January 1st and before that, 27.3% from three in 31 games. So. Um, with all that said, this is the second consecutive year in which Kent had a a, some, a really sharp split from one half to the other. Last year, though, it was actually the opposite. Um, the previous year in his, uh, his sort of breakout contract year, he shot 29% from three down the stretch of the season and 39% before the All-Star break. Might just be a streaky guy, but it is is, men- is worth mentioning that uh you know I'm not sure he was as bad as people want to make him out to be as a shooter just because he actually quietly shot the ball very well over the last three months of the year. Um, might just be streaky again, uh, but you know, in exit interviews there was some talk that it had some uh, you know some mechanical issues and also early on in the season seemed to be pretty much visibly pressing. He talked about his mental state um, and how it kind of improved throughout the season. That could be a positive thing moving forward. With all that to say though. His, uh his numbers were not great this year he did not play very well especially when compared to the year before he clearly was not the same player that he was during his contract year he shot 55% true shooting during uh sorry i guess 2 years ago now but his contract year and then uh, this this past season 50 50.4% 50. true shooting which is pretty rough for a shooting guard slash small forward type of guy his three point attempt rate was down he took a little, he took less of those for those of you unfamiliar are with that his his rebound rate was also down which was sort of a common theme with the Hawks with Dwight Howard around is that a lot of guys Guy's rebound rates were down, but still, his usage rate actually went a little bit up, and that kind of goes to the point where he was probably mishandled. He had the ball in his hands a little bit too much for my liking and a lot of people's liking. His turnover rate, though, was down. His actually assist rate was up. Uh, there was a lot of complaining during the season about Kent's turnovers and sort of the way he took care of the ball. But he actually took care of the ball better this season than he did a year. They did a year ago when you, when you combine the higher usage with less turnover, that's definitely worth noting. Uh, defensively, I thought he took a slight step back on the whole. He is, uh, for me, uh, it's kind of funny during his breakout year. I thought he was actually pretty overrated defensively. Uh, Kent's always been a you know, a solidish defender, sort of an average defensive player. He's actually he's actually better on smaller guys. He's actually better defending some point guards and definitely some shooting guards. His his strength is not defending small forwards, but he was asked to play a lot of small forward in his uh, in his time over the last couple of years, just because the Hawks had you know Cal Corver before him and also Tim Hardaway Junior this year as sort of a full time shooting guard, and uh, obviously Tim's not going to be able to defend up so. We saw a lot of Kent being tasked with some assignments that are not great for him. But if you put him in more of an appropriate role, he can be a solid defender, if not a pretty a, a pretty good one. Uh, certainly, is an overrated one in terms of two years ago. But I think this year it's sort of the jury went too far the other way. He's he's sort of an averageish defender, which is fine. I've said this before. It's been uh, but it's worth noting again here in his uh, sort of in his player review that it's kind of amazing how quickly the fan base turned on Bazemore. Uh, he was kind of beloved by most people two years ago um, before signing the contract, and you know I get it uh, in some ways, but uh, he 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 is overpaid. Uh, it's, it should be noted though he was worse this season. There's no question about that. His PER was down, his win shares were down, his RPM was down, his uh, value over replacement player, his VORP, is what that's called, was down. He was just he was just worse this year. There's no there's no way around it. That was something that was predicted uh, by Robbie Callen in this space a year ago. Um, I do think Kent is a better player than he was in 2016-2017, but not necessarily as good as he was in 2015, 2016, if that makes sense. Sort of somewhere in the middle is the truth. But, uh, yeah, interesting to see uh, sort of how the reaction would have been different if Kent signed for less money. I think just the number itself kind of surprised people. In the the salary cap market, that actually happened. I had no huge beef with it. I probably would not have signed that contract and said so at the time, but uh, he kind of got the market value, which is fine. He he actually took less money. It's always worth noting that the Hawks were only one of several teams, and actually uh, the Lakers were on record as uh, offering more money. There was a couple teams that were rumored to be in that range as well, but that was a confirmed one for the Lakers that Kent even talked about. He took about $2 million less to sign with Atlanta in a place that he liked and a place that he valued and the Hawks paid him. And that should be noted that he is, that he is overpaid but I'd be just very interested to, to see how that would change if he was properly paid and also I would encourage people to sort of try to remove the analysis of him as a player from the analysis of him as a contract. In some ways, obviously it does matter what he makes. That's why we know what these guys make is because it does matter. And the NBA more than really almost any league is because of all the salary cap machinations. It absolutely matters what Ken it makes and he is overpaid that's going to hurt the Hawks potentially in, in the future um, but in the same breath when you're talking about just purely as a player sort of in season non uh, non-salary cap non-trade all that kind of stuff um, moves and stuff I think he's actually become a little bit underrated as a player when just talking about him as an, an actual contributor just because I think the, the hate has gone too far in Kent. If he's as bad as he was uh, at the early stages of course of this year, uh, next year for a full year, then it's time to worry, but there were some, there were some signs of life in the second half, and uh, for me, he was miscast a lot and uh, was one of the guys who I would argue was as effective as, effective as anybody with regard to uh, going from Al Horford to Dwight Howard and sort of playing with less space, having the ball in his hands more often, even losing Jeff Teague. There were a of things that did not um, rub well off on uh, on Kent Baysmore this season, we'll be interested to see how the Hawks look as a full roster. And you're not going to be building with Kent in mind necessarily, but hopefully it's a more conducive situation to him. He'll have the ball and his hands a little bit less, asked to create a little bit less, and he can be just more of a three and D supporting piece, which is the role that he probably needs to be in. Uh, with that said, uh, I want to end with this, although this is sort of an extensive topic. But uh, I posted a Twitter poll actually earlier this week with the following wording. It said exactly this. And I quote, if the Hawks could simply give away one contract for nothing in return this summer, which one would you choose between Kent Bazemore and Dwight Howard? And I thought, honestly, I thought that the answer was going to be slightly uh, tilted to Kent because I think, uh, you know, Dwight's famous. He was obviously the better player this year for the most part um, than, than Kent. And also Kent's contract is one year longer, but... I was pleasantly surprised because I actually agree with this. The fifty-four percent of people voted for Dwight Howard as the guy that they would get rid of if they could snap their fingers, and the contract would be gone. Uh, the other, the other forty-six percent went to Kent, so it was basically a fifty-fifty proposition, but with a slight lean toward Dwight. Um, I think it's for me it's pretty easily Howard and we'll, we'll talk about him later on an episode with uh, dedicated to himself I don't, don't want to get too deep on Dwight but uh, I think the decision goes beyond the individual play for Howard just because of the off-court stuff and the way that he can sort of infect the locker room and also playing style wise almost more importantly uh, you know Kent Baysmore can sort of fit into a system he can be a supporting player with Dwight it's really tough you kind of almost have to build around him and the Hawks he's just not good enough to build around at this point in time you saw that in the playoffs what his limitations are whereas Kent you can kind of just put him on the court he can play in, play in different roles but uh, just be a supporting piece whereas Howard is a guy well he's still a supporting piece but it's a high level one and a guy who doesn't always know that he's a supporting piece it's sort of a difficult situation to fit him in but you know Kent also makes less money per year and while the, the length is the length is troubling if you're if, if you're looking to improve the roster this year especially if Paul both were to leave uh, you're gonna need that cap space and I think uh, getting off with Dwight would be uh, more important but I, I posted that poll and hadn't talked about it yet so I want to talk about it a little bit I had that thought and I'm running a, a My mind as a as a potentially different segment of the podcast, but worth noting here, uh, you know, the contract's still bad. There's no way. There's no way around that. I do think though that you know Dwight is uh, tough, tougher to move, just because I go back to the Kevin Arvids uh, straw poll that he did about uh, the Hawks basically just being happy to uh, sort of get a second round pick, sort of on the upside for Dwight Howard. I think this sort of the same thing will be true with Kent Bazemore, although in a league that's sort of void of wings and teams are always looking for wing help. You know Kent is overpaid, but he's at least useful in basically any, basically any system. It's a bad contract. There's no way around that at this point in time. It'd be pretty surprising if Kent was suddenly able to. earn Earn the money that he's owed the next three years um, but you know him being a 10 12 million dollar player making 17 or 18 19 million is better than having a guy like dwight um, who for me it's not that he was bad again we'll, we'll talk about that later on the podcast but uh, in my opinion, uh, paying him $24 million a year and to get the whole package of Dwight off court, all those things, his attitude stuff, the way that he wanted the ball clearly and wanted to play clearly and was, uh, ready enough to cause not a disturbance, but just have, have that be out there in exit the interviews and sort of the way that he is, uh, has a reputation beyond Atlanta. This is not just me talking. Um, this is, this, this would be the fourth consecutive stop. If, if he were to leave that, uh, things did not end well at the end of Orlando was ugly. The end of Los Angeles was very ugly. The end of Houston was toxic. We saw that last year. Uh, um, the way out and just how bad Houston was last year versus how good they were this year. It's not all Dwight, but still, it's a lot of Dwight. And then, of course, now with the exit interviews, that's the way that things didn't clearly play out the way that Atlanta wanted this year, even with him playing better on the court than I probably would have expected coming in. With that said, it was a, it was definitely a rough year for Kent Bazemore. The contract is bad. Again, it's worth saying over and over again. I'm not I'm not, I'm not defending the contract. It was not a good idea for the Hawks to give him seventy million dollars. That's not going to work out well. But it also will age a little bit better than you might think, just because he will be useful. He'll be overpaid, but useful. And you rather have that kind of guy than someone who is just a complete wash that you can't use at different times. And uh, for Kent, uh, we'll see if he's better. I think I expect him to be a little bit better next year. He will, he will of course, be 28 on July 1st. So if the Hawks want Extract anything approaching value on the contract. It's going to have to be in the next year or two. I think you know once you, once you get into that age thirty season or so, thirty one season as a, as a wing, especially one that's kind of reliant on being a, a pretty athletic, like Ken is at least physically. He's not he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not the longest guy in the world. So he needs to be at least you know quick and all those things. And we'll see if he can play better next year. uh Finally, it'll be very interesting to see what the Hawks kind of do lineup wise with Kent moving forward if he's on the roster. You know you have Torian Prince now. I would expect Torian to be the starting small forward next year. He was a starting small forward in the playoffs for a reason. It's because he's, uh, you know, arguably in my opinion the best the best asset on the team right now. And uh, he's very young. That's the position that he'll absolutely be playing uh, moving forward. I, I would argue that he should be playing a little bit more small ball forward potentially. But uh, Bud does not seem terribly enthused to do that. So I think you're going to see Torian at, at, at the three for the lion's share of the minutes. And with Kent uh, being around, also Tim Hardaway Jr. If Tim is signed, um, and also you have. John Memory coming, in. the Hawks could also sign another guy or two on the wing as well. So you know, seeing what the lineup construction stuff is will be interesting. You know, pairing Kent and Torian together on the wing is not the greatest situation in the world. Neither guy is a knockdown shooter. Neither guy is necessarily a secondary creator right now. Although Torian flashed some ability to you know use the dribble this year, I think. Uh, moreover, you probably would probably be more likely to stagger and have Kent potentially be a bench player. Obviously, paying a paying guy eighteen million dollars a year or so. To come off, come off the bench, even in this new salary cap kind of environment, is not great. But it's a little bit lessened by the fact that Torian's making you know two three million dollars a year. So if you combine those two and uh, just kind of kind of do the math that way, you're, you're you know you're paying 20 million dollars for your small forward rotation, or at least two members of your wing rotation. That's much more palatable. Obviously, that's one of the reasons why it helps to have guys on the rookie contracts. They're not making a lot of money at all. And Torian is already, I, I think, pretty much poised to be outplaying that contract as a as a second year player next year. We'll see what happens there, but you know Tim Hardaway Jr. There's there's lots of different things. Uh, ideally, I think the Hawks need to be going into next year with the mind of you know at they think DeAndre Memory is going to be uh, able to make a big time leap. Uh, you know we'll see what happens. I, I think I think probably keeping Tim Hardaway Jr. is uh, likely if nothing else, if only because they have restricted rights on him. And if uh, you know projectability wise, if you went into next year with the four wings on the team uh, being you know Baysmore Prince. Bembry and Hardaway Jr. Obviously, they'll probably sign somebody else in there somewhere, whether it's Dunleavy, um, if they can just keep him, or if they go into the free agent market, something like that. Um, but if those are your four guys that are sort of your core wings, um, it's not it's not great by any means because I don't think you know what DeAndre Bembry is right now, even, even as a guy I like. And I think Hardaway Jr. is an overrated prospect slash asset right now. But still, you could do worse. That's not necessarily any worse than what you had this year, although I would argue Thomas I is obviously you know, probably safer and better than what DeAndre Bembry will be as a, a – as a de facto rookie in year two because he just didn't play at all really this year other than a couple of small stints. So, well, all that said, Kent's contract is bad. That's, that's, the, that's the cliff notes of this thing, but he is a useful player that I think might be even more useful in year two. It would be definitely helpful to him if he's placed in a little bit better position to, to, to succeed with uh, some more stancel jump shooting, a little bit less in terms of creation responsibilities and uh, defensively. Uh, playing alongside Prince or somebody else that can take away some high-level threes and have him focus on the smaller guys in the backcourt would be definitely helpful for Kent Bazemore. Um, with that said, thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast. As always, I, again, I really appreciate you guys sticking with me for 200 episodes. That's kind of a milestone, obviously, and uh, there's lots to get to. We're going to start breaking some drafts, some, some draft stuff down here. I've been doing a lot of tape study on some guys that the Hawks could have in their range uh, coming up coming up in the draft. Of course, with two picks at 19 and 31, it becomes even more interesting because 31 is a very valuable proposition. I'm going to keep saying that between now and the draft, but it is a very, very nice pick to have. And um, yeah, please subscribe to the show if you have not done that already. I really appreciate it. We're making our Way through player reviews. Obviously, about halfway done now, which is nice, uh, but still, you know, a lot of guys to talk about. Torian Prince. Thomas Falosha, Shalani Viseva, Dwight Howard, Paul Millsap, Mike Muscala—some interesting names to get to in the next couple of weeks. So, with that said, we'll be back again uh, either Monday or Tuesday for our next show, depending on what's uh, what's out there in terms of news and guests and things. But we're we're going two or three times a week. This is a this is a three a three podcast week for the podcast, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But it'll be at least twice, probably three times every week. And uh, with that said, thanks for listening. Subscribe to all those fun things, and we'll see you guys next week. Rush into Old Navy today for up to 50% off store-wide. Get dresses from $15 for women, $12 for girls, plus up to 75% off clearance for the whole family right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1016 to 1020, select styles only.